Welcome to the A to Z Running Podcast, where we help runners thrive. I'm Andy. And I am Zach. And up next, Dr. John Maskell joins us again to discuss one of the most underdiagnosed conditions and its solution. And after that, World of Running updates about records, fast people, and more. Welcome back. We are glad to be in your ear again, telling you wonderful things and among them (laughs) answers to your questions. And we do that at the end of the month, every month. And so if you have not submitted a question lately, do so by going to a to z running dot com slash question, because then we can solve all your problems all at once. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Well, we love connecting with you. We say it every week, but we really do. And it was really fun when I was running with Amanda. We saw Mike, who waved at me and said, hey, I'm listening to your podcast right now. So shout out to Mike and also great job running that 20 miler that you were getting in on Thursday. It's always a fun 4D experience when you are listening to us and then seeing us at the same time and you're (laughs) wondering to yourself, how do they manage such a feat? And of course, the answer is when you're this amazing, many feats are not terribly difficult. You're being crazy, but it is fun to see some of you in real life, and we can do that as we've been talking about at Rivertown Races, so that's coming up here really soon. You've been here. There's the big one. Talking about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be there. We're going to be talking with you if you are there, and we're going to have stuff, and we're going to be running, and it's just there's lots of fun things going to be happening on that day. Which is what? If you haven't signed up, it's April 22. It is... 10% 10% off still if you use code Price A to Z increase, but. if you mm-hmm. use code A to Z 10 for 10% off you really got to do this like right away you've already basically missed all of the key deadlines now at this point <laughs> you're just procrastinating for no reason at all so if you're going to be in the West Michigan area go to rivertownraces.com use code A to Z 10 and get your 10% off mhm now on to the main topic We have a returning guest this week. We had so much fun last time that we brought Dr. John Maskell on again. Dr. John Maskell specializes in comprehensive foot and ankle treatment and reconstruction at Orthopedic Associates of Michigan. His active involvement in research projects, publications, and presentations on a local, national, and international level puts him at the forefront in his field. As a resident teacher and mentor at the Grand Rapids Medical Education and Research Center, he is also committed to sharing that knowledge with the next generation of physicians, but he's also today sharing his knowledge with us. So that's exciting. That he is doing. And then something he thoroughly enjoys doing, which is one of the reasons why we like having him on. And so if you missed the Achilles episode, it was great, was poignant and practical. And what we're going to do here in this next conversation now is the second conversation we had with Dr. Maskell, where he basically said to us, like, if, if we're going to be talking about running stuff, we have to talk about chronic compartment syndrome. And here's why. And then he proceeded to make the case that I find to be just one of the most compelling cases you can make, which is this is a problem that a lot of people have, never know it, and it's debilitating. So they think, like, I'm not going to be able to run because of this problem. And don't necessarily get it diagnosed or diagnosed correctly. And with all of that, the solution is super easy and highly effective. Mm. So that's the part that like when he starts saying that to me, I'm like, okay, we got to talk to some runners about this. So the key here that you want to take away is you may or may not have or ever experience some of the things described here, but understanding the nature of how these things interact with each other informs some general day-to-day decisions we should all be making Mm -hmm. to avoid some of these problems. So we're going to listen to Dr. Maskell here drop some serious information, and we will all then be much the wiser for it. So let's get right to it. All right. Well, John, Dr. (laughs) John Maskell, (laughs) 
Welcome back. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so we, we, we talked previously when you were on about Achilles and plantar fasciitis. And if anyone's listening who hasn't heard that episode, you got to go back and listen because it's good. <laughs> it's good. Um, but this one in particular, I, I, I'm really excited to talk about this topic before I even say what it is. Um, because as you were articulating things to me, uh, the idea that you can say something like, we're going to have a surgery and you're going to be able to run again right away. As a matter of fact, I want you to run like a lot, you know, so something like that. Okay. So you have a surgery and then you say, we're going to run a lot. That's a good thing. Yes. And then also to be able to suggest that, um, this is the kind of thing that is more common than people realize. And yet not always something people identify. Correct. So it's a, it's kind of like, let's solve some mysteries. Correct. So that's what we've got in store yes. for people here. So uh, tell us, um, now I'm going to try to say it before you do, and then you can correct me if I say it wrong. Um, <laughs> we're talking about chronic and exertional compartment syndrome. Yes. So, so um, for all of um, you people out there who love to Google, don't make the mistake of Googling acute compartment syndrome because that is not what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So compartment syndrome, I'll just, I'll just talk about what compartments are. So compartments, there are four compartments in your calf. Okay. And there's the anterior compartment, which houses your extensors. They pull your foot up. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's typically right next to the tibia or the shin bone there. And then there are the there's the lateral compartment, which primarily houses the perineal tendons on the side, okay? And they help evert the foot, so they're used notoriously on uneven ground, so beach running, uh, <laughs> running on trails, etc. Um, those are the two compartments that are most frequently affected, okay? Okay, uh, with with compartment syndrome that we're going to discuss. The two posterior compartments are in the back are superficial, which means, you know, right under the skin, so to speak. And that houses your Achilles complex, mm. primarily the gastrocnemius and soleus muscle. And then the deeper compartment syndrome, excuse me, the deeper compartment is called the, uh, is it primarily, f it has all the flexors for your toes. Right. Okay. So those four compartments um, are wrapped by fascia. Okay. And fascia is shall we say in layman's terms is almost like a saran wrap mm. okay and it, and it basically just you know these compartments are where these muscles run and and they basically just keep them in their area okay, okay? and it keeps them cylindrical yeah. okay and the, the problem though is that the fascia is very unforgiving yep. and so the fascia um which wraps around these muscles um, can actually be a constraint in certain instances, and it can actually not allow the muscle to get any bigger. Okay, so typically what ends up happening is, um, you know, you you will run, and the muscle will start to expand, and the muscle then gets engorged with blood. Okay, mm -hmm. which makes that muscle bigger. Okay. And that's where you get your, you know, you get the swelling in your muscles and your thighs and in your, you know, and in your calf as you run. And what ends up happening is the fascia stops the expansion. And so it only has one place to go and it expands like internally or starts to fill every single space. And then what ends up happening to that is that the artery and the vein and even the nerve in certain instances that course through that particular compartment get squeezed off and you end up losing blood flow to the muscle and it comes about in the form of a cramp or even tingling mm. and it's very vague it's very vague so these patients have just vague leg pain at some point during their run and it just won't go away unless they stop unless, uh, yeah because that because then it's not the blood flow the blood flow will decrease the yeah. muscle actually right. will shrink and now all of a sudden the blood is able to re, re, be returned to the muscle yeah and the issue with runners in particular is a runner is mo notoriously healthy Okay, so I don't have to worry about blood pressure issues in a runner, usually. 
Um, you guys work the heart just as much as you work every other muscle, right? And so when you have low blood pressure, you're the first person that's going to succumb to this because the pressure is low, okay? So if the pressure in the calf approaches that low number, mm. it's very easy to actually pinch off the blood supply. Right, right. So in that sense, our runner healthiness is uh, kind of a detriment or maybe not a detriment, but it exposes the issue. More it easily. does. Yep. And, yeah. and this is, um, you know, it's not in every person. So this isn't something yeah. that every single person is at risk for. Right. This is dependent on anatomy. Mm. So someone's muscle might be bigger than another. Someone's compartment might be smaller than the next person, yeah. or maybe their tissue doesn't expand as readily. Okay. Right. So we have, you know, patients who are very hypermobile or their, their tissue will give, mm -hmm. even if it's a, you know, they're dist uh, you know, they can, um, hyper extend or people will say I'm double jointed. Sure. Right. Yeah. Those are patients that the tissue is able to, they don't, you know, have that tight tissue. So their tissues will expand pretty easily. Sure. Okay. Um, so it's less likely, less than, likely. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's not something that every runner has mm -hmm. to deal with or worry about, but it is, it is definitely present in a fair number of people. And it's, in my opinion, most notable in runners because they're constantly running. They're constantly expanding that muscle base and then their blood pressure is low. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and so you said then John, that they may, uh, it is the idea of like my leg hurts, but, uh, but it's not really precise. I don't, I can't really put a finger on exactly why or where or, or how that pain is. Um, but are there other things happening that kind of clue you into this may be the issue? Any other symptoms? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, the, the, the main issue is I, I get this classic patient that comes in and just says, I don't know what's going on. You know, a lot of times we, we know kind of what's going on or we know the structure that's affected. Mm. And this one, the patient just says my leg hurts Yeah. only after I start doing exercise. Ah. Yeah. I can walk fine. I'm fine. You know, but when I start to run it, it starts to cramp up after I've been running maybe a mile and a quarter. And they can almost pinpoint when it actually starts to, it, you know, it starts yeah. to happen. And they're like, the only way that I can actually get this pain to stop is if I just stop. Yeah. And they say, Maskell, I've, I've trained, I've done everything right. It wasn't doing this to me before. Yeah. And I, I just don't understand like, like what's happening to me. People think I'm crazy. My coach says there's nothing wrong with my leg, um, you know, and there's no bruising. There's no... You know, I didn't hurt myself. It just starts. And then all of a sudden, it's not like I can't, you know, I have to just run through it. The more I run, the more I have to stop. Right. Because I can't run through it because it right. gets worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so that that's where the, um, as the uh, compressing is happening, as everything's squeezing, um, there's not, there's not like something you can do a little differently while you're running. You know, I think about like when I've got something that's kind of like tight and pulling a little bit, if I just kind of like change my cadence a little, sometimes that helps, you know, it, that's not going to matter here until you lower your blood pressure. Until, yes. Until you lower your heart rate. Correct. Um, and, and so, um, you know, the, you know, and obviously there are different, you know, if you have a day that let's say you're nervous, mm -hmm. right? What happens when we're nervous? Our blood pressure goes up yep. or we're stressed, yep. right? You're going to do great on that day, huh. right? You're going to do yeah. great on that day because you actually have more push yeah. in your artery. And so you might be able to make it farther that day yeah. before all of a sudden the pressure then overcomes the increase in blood pressure that you experienced. So yeah, there's like, there's, there's the kind of a sliding scale there yep. potentially where, uh, yeah. That Whereas if you're stress-free and you are doing great and you are, you know, feeling athletic and, you know, I mean, you know, really relaxed, really 
relaxed, well then you might not be able to run hardly at all. Yeah. You know, and, and that's because, and you're like, well, I only made it to 0.75 miles and I I don't understand why, you know, and you know, then you go to the urgent care, you get an x-ray and the x-rays are negative. Yeah. And then you get an MRI and what do you think the MRI is going to show? Absolutely nothing. Right. Because your muscles aren't affected. Your (laughs) arteries and your nerves are completely fine. So it's only after you're exercising. Yeah. So people will call it exercise-induced compartment syndrome. Sure. And, or chronic exertional, exertional compartment. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's where that okay. exertional compartment yeah. syndrome. Um, again, the, the the key is not to to you know um, not to look up acute compartment <laughs> syndrome because that occurs in a trauma and it's a much quicker issue it's the same type of issue what happens in that situation is if you break your leg you can actually fill those compartments up and the blood flow from the fracture bleeding mm-hmm. will actually pinch off the pressure gets so high that no, no blood at, at any at any point can get through and so that's basically one of the only orthopedic emergencies that we have but the treatment is to you got to open the leg up yeah. otherwise you will actually lose the foot but again, I want to make <laughs> clear not the same that thing. that is not the same thing. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Well, okay. So um, you were just suggesting an x-ray is not going to give you anything. MRI is not going to give you anything. Um, how do you know if this is what someone has? Or do you have a way to know? So um, I, I always like, you know, in runners, uh, a tibial stress fracture, really we have to check that out. Yeah. Okay. Because so I do like to get an x-ray. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's going to be negative. Yep. A stress fracture will also be negative. Yeah. And exertional compartment syndrome and stress fracture can look very similar-ish. Okay. Yeah. Um, a stress fracture is going to hurt every time you kind of hop on it, though. Okay. Right. But you can aggravate it worse as you get running. But, you know, the more mm-hmm. severe it gets, it you, you know, it usually starts up right kind of right away. Okay. Right. But yep. and people will kind of run through it. But you can keep running through it, really. Right. Okay. So I do like to rule out a stress fracture. And if the x-ray is negative, then I look for swelling inside the tibia on an MRI. Yeah. Okay. But if all that is negative and there's nothing else crazy like a mass or anything like that in the, which there never is. Mm -hmm. Right. Then I really start thinking compartment syndrome, especially in a runner who likes is, is exercising quite a bit and, they describe this, I'm fine the first couple of minutes and then bang, you yeah. know? So what we do is we actually check the pressures in your leg. Okay. And it's, and it's relatively benign, but there, you know, there is a needle involved. Um, we do actually numb you up to be able to accept the needle because it's a fairly big needle. All right. Um, but you know, once you do that, what we do is we actually um, inject just a little bit of saline inside the compartment. And then I've got a gauge that literally is very similar to a tire gauge and it will read it. And I can tell with the pressure in the leg and we measure each compartment. Okay. Okay. So the resting pressure is when you haven't run. Okay. So we would meet and you know, I'd have you lying flat on the bed um, with your calf, like, or with your ankle probably on a little pillow so that mm-hmm. your calf can hang freely. So I'm not getting any pressure from the bed. Yep. And, you know, we check the pressure in your compartments. If your compartment pressure is greater than 15, we call it millimeters of mercury, that's what we use, yep. um, then it's diagnosed right then and there because you're, you're resting compartment pressure should be less than 15. Yeah. If it's normal, then that's probably fairly normal. Then I, I'd send you to my therapy department, which is right around the, you know, the corner. Um, and I would put you on a treadmill. Mm. Then I go back up to my office and you start running for however many minutes it takes for you to become symptomatic. So then you actually elicit the pain and then they call me. I come down, get everything ready. You know, we have everything kind of all set up. Then you run off the treadmill and you run into the room. Then you lay on the bed. Now we have a different scenario. Now I've got your muscles that are um, actually 
you know, engorged, so to speak. And, you know, your blood, you're running, your blood pressure is down and everything. And um, then we inject, you know, we do that actual pressure measurement. And at that point, um, the true definition is if it's greater than 30 Mm. or if it's within 30 of your diastolic pressure, which is the low number of your blood pressure. Okay. That means it's creeping way too close, especially if you're having the pain. Yeah. Okay. So what that means is if you have a diastolic blood pressure of 50, so let's say you're 100 over 50 is your blood pressure. Okay. That means that the just to keep the vein or the, excuse me, the artery open, it's 50, it, you know, takes 50. Okay. That's the only thing it has to overcome. So if your pressure in your leg then is 25, then it's within 30. And in theory, it can start to clamp down on that artery. Okay. If you have high blood pressure and you're 140 over 90 and I measure your pressure in your calf and it's 25. Well, now we're, you know, 90 minus 25. Yeah. Okay. So you're looking at a 65 millimeter mercury difference. So in theory, that's Mm. not compartment syndrome, right? Because there's not enough pressure there to really collapse the veins. So your blood should be getting through. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? That makes sense. So you're you're given a pressure gauge, a pressure test. Yes. Because that's in in the concept then is simply that um, there's not enough space for the things to do what they're supposed to do. Correct. And that's easy enough to test with with pressure. Okay. You were telling me a story earlier, if you're willing to share, um, how how this can be kind of crazy sometimes. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I had a patient that, very, very active runner um, and, you know, younger guy, um, you know, out of college mm. and has been running his whole life. Okay. And, you know, he just started developing pain in his leg over the course of time and it got to the point where, you know, he, he ran through it, um, but he really had to eventually just stop. Yeah. And it got to the point because he really didn't see anybody. Um, he got to the point then where, you know, that he just couldn't even sleep with his leg on the bed. Oh, no. So he had to he had to drop his his foot off the bed. Is, is that because of the pressure of the bed against his cap? Like, why, why couldn't he have his leg on the bed? Because, I mean, in hindsight, it was because he needed gravity to actually assist the blood through oh, the actual. He couldn't get the blood. Could through. not get. So you Whoa. need you need the downward push. Yeah. And um, this is very classic in any sort of artery type of problem. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So if you have a an artery that's clogged, it's very classic that you, you know, so his primary care doctor, the first thing he thought of is like you have a vascular mm-hmm. issue, which he did. Right. <laughs> and so he ended up, you know, seeing a vascular surgeon and turns out that he ended up having what they call um, an angiogram where they actually did the, they injected his veins with dye. Mm. And it just so happens that um, even while standing there, like they couldn't get the dye through the artery past his knee. Wow. And so, you know, in, in hindsight, what we found is that he had accrued so much muscle that the muscle essentially was pinching off the the arterial blood supply even at rest. Even at rest. Even at rest. Would, wouldn't his like his feet be numb or something in a situation like that? Like yes. So he did have numbness. In fact, uh... what actually brought him to the primary care physician was that he had a sore that wouldn't heal on his big toe. Yep. And, and, you know, runners get sores all the time is, you know, it's something that everyone deals with and, you know, no problem. You just push through it, get it healed. Um, but this would not heal. Yeah. So, you know, the surgeon, the vascular surgeon then said, you know, I don't think the artery is really affected or excuse me, not affected. It's not an arterial, it's not a problematic artery. Yeah. Okay. In other words, the artery really is normal. It's just not acting normal because she thought first you need to really probably check the pressures in the leg first. Yeah. Right. So I was thrilled that that person actually knew that that was a 
possibility that could happen, especially, you know, before trying to place a stent mm. or something to increase the blood flow, yeah. right? Because that would be a, a great treatment for that. Sure. Um, however, the right thing was recommended. And so the patient came in and saw me and I just could not even believe it because I had not seen anyone with that, uh, that severe of exertional compartment syndrome. So I said, you know what? We have to check your, we, we did all the things, x-ray, make sure there's no, you know, nothing going on, 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 you know, bony wise, MRI, make sure you didn't have a mask, make sure everything looked fine. All that was negative. Yep. Everything looked great. So I did the compartment pressure test and at rest, I mean, his compartments were literally like 40 plus <laughs> and it was baffling. Nice. I was like, this is crazy. I've never seen anything that high. Usually a high resting one is 15 to 25, sure. right? And this was like way high. So I said to him, you know, I, I'm i just curious. I, I just want to see you run. And you definitely have exertional compartment syndrome. You've had the the angiogram. So, I mean, you know, really what we need here is surgery at this point. But let's just see you run. And so he runs and he runs about 14 or 15 minutes and he got it to the max. Okay. And he ran right into the room. I didn't, you know, I, I looked at his foot and just basically just like a anatomy lesson. I mean, there was no blood flow in this particular arterial distribution. So in other words, one artery was notoriously blocked. And it's the most, it's in the anterior compartment. Okay. Yeah. The most, the, the compartment that was, is most notably involved. Yeah. And literally I was, it was just sheet white and this was the <laughs> same area that a sore was. Right. In. So right. it was not getting any blood flow. Yep. And so he was just, Oh, he was so sore, even just approaching him. And he's just like, oh, my leg is really aching. Yeah. So I went ahead and I said, okay, I'm, I don't have to stick you, but may I? Because I'm just <laughs> curious to see what pressure we're at. Yep. And so I literally went to go re-inject and, and check him. And literally the, the, the pressure gauge just went bananas. And he actually shot back fluid and blood flow, blood <laughs> into my my pressure gauge like it could it couldn't even get it into his leg like it, it went back. i pushed it in and he yep. literally pushed it right back out and i've never oh. in my career seen that and i've been yeah. taking compartment pressure measurements since before 2000 right okay. <laughs> so i'm just like this is this is crazy so it was it was like well it was like well into the hundreds and anyone with a diastolic pressure of anything over 100 is not well, yeah. right? And yeah. but this is a healthy guy, right? So he literally had literally closed off his entire arterial supply. Wow. So I I said to him, I, you know, we need you need to go to surgery, yep. and normally this is not an acute, an urgent type thing. But I was yeah. so intrigued by this whole <laughs> case that I was like, let's let's just get you on relatively quickly. Yeah. And so, um we ended up doing a surgical release and the treatment for this is kind of brings us into that yep. next, um, the, the next, uh, topic, but the treatment for this is to actually surgically open all four compartments. Mm -hmm. So typically what that looks like, it's two incisions. Um, and again, if you're looking at the acute compartment syndrome, mm -hmm. okay, you'll see, that the incisions are the entire length of the leg. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the entire muscle needs to be opened up. Otherwise the muscle will still die. Yeah. Right. So again, don't be freaked out by that on the internet, but the, the, you know, on a smaller scale, we still have to release the entire compartment. Mm -hmm. It's just that when you're talking about the acute compartment syndrome, the skin can be equally offensive uh. as the fascia. So yeah. you actually have to open the skin. Yeah. Okay. In this scenario, we are not nearly to that degree. And so just releasing the fascia is plenty. Okay. Okay. So you make a small incision and you can make it where you can see two compartments. So one incision releases two, the other one releases two. Gotcha. And you make a small incision into the fascia and 
you know, I kind of make a tunnel underneath the skin and then I can physically see where my scissors are going and then I just release it just like I'm cutting Christmas paper. Yeah. Okay. And the nice thing is it, um, you don't cut muscle and you don't, um, it, it's, it's a long incision under the skin, mm. but it's relatively pain-free cause it's not a, you know, it's, it's not very nervated okay. okay so it doesn't yeah. have much in the way of nerve endings yeah fascia is not uh that, right that's what you're talking about specifically exactly okay. the fascia yeah. itself and that's what we're cutting yeah so right. we're not cutting the muscle we're just cutting the saran wrap so yep. to speak right and when i did it for this person it literally just want just popped right out of that compartment <laughs> and it was very healthy viable yeah. muscle um and but usually that happens when you have an acute compartment syndrome and you've got a lot of swelling from the trauma yeah. and you've got a severe amount of blood in there mm -hmm. right but when you're talking chronic it is literally just the size of the musculature that actually mm. ends up determining that yeah. and so in this particular case it did it did really want out like you, so you saw, you visibly saw the I, expanding. I saw right that muscle saying, eyes. thank you, Lord, Whoa. that, that, <laughs> that I am free. I yep. am finally free genie out of the bottle and it's not going back in. <laughs> wow. And so then, you know, what you do in the surgery to keep this, um, you know, to keep this nice and open is I will actually take a small piece um, probably about this big out of the actual mm. fascial layer and to keep it from never being able to kind of officially close over again. Yep. Um, and so after, after that is done, we, we close you back up. We put a wrap around your leg essentially. Yep. And then, the, you know, the treatment or excuse me, the recovery really is bizarre because what we want you to do is we want you to keep those compartments expanded so that your body can get used to the size. But more importantly, as you heal, we create scar tissue, right? That's how everything heals. Yep. So if you don't exercise and your compartment was this big to start with and yep. your body doesn't like that, right? Yeah. So we open it up and we've now created it this big, okay? Yep. You want to keep it that big as long as you can so that the body knows, okay, I got to heal to here. Yeah. So if you sit at home and you're like, I'm going to take a couple of months off from running, then you're, it, you know, the, the tissue will come back to where it was yeah. originally. And it has an amazing ability to just, you know, heal across and it'll keep your compartments the same size essentially. Right. Um, so with this particular surgery, you can get a recurrence yeah. and it can, you know, that would be in that, in the way of a failure yep. in that by the time people do start running and getting back to it, that their calf kind of healed tight again. Yeah. So to keep it open, <laughs> I take a piece out so that it can't ever fully bridge back, yep. especially in the two compartments that are the most notably problematic. Okay, sure. So, so then what we've learned about this is, is, uh, it happens because, um, as the muscles either, you know, just getting stronger and the tissues expanding, but as blood flow then engorges the muscle, that's when they're feeling the compartment. So your recommendation post op is to run a lot so they can get the blood flow in there to keep the compartment. I love that. I know great. as a it's, runner, it's one of those <laughs> odd things where you act, the runner gets to do actually what he loves to do or she, and you, you want to keep those compartments as big as you would want them. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, you know, it, it, there is, especially from the inside of the leg. Okay. So the most common compartments are on that are on the outside of the leg, mm. the lateral and anterior compartments. That's but, where you're usually... Yep. Yeah. Okay. And then on the inside of the leg is where the other incision is. And that um, affects the deep and the superficial compartments posteriorly. Yep. Okay. The deepest compartment, I actually have to take down a little bit of the soleus muscle. Okay. Because the soleus wraps and envelopes the deep posterior compartment mm. so there is a there's you know i have to take that muscle down and then i can actually see the 
compartment and then I incise into it. And you have to release the deep compartment fairly, have, you know, uh, uh, several centimeters. Okay. You know, you want to make sure it's released. Yeah. Um, And just taking the muscle down can leave you crampy. Sure. That resolves. But it's something that that's when I'm like, you just run the daylights through that pain if you can. You know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. There's there's like some cramping that goes on. um, But, you know, it's something that even just start with brisk walk, you know, walk, 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 get used to that pain a little bit and push, 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 and then gradually start running, 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 running. And, you know, just really fill those compartments up. And it's, it's a rewarding surgery um, because patients notoriously just love the concept that, wow, I, I've been struggling with this vague pain and now I'm better. It's gone. And it's gone. <laughs> yes. I love it. So, yeah, it's fantastic. So the one the one example, I, I'm assuming he was able to sleep with his foot on the bed again, too, which. Yeah, absolutely. So probably just quality of life thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, now that the compartments were released um, and his muscle actually had room to breathe, all of a sudden. So the very next day I get a phone call and I find out that for the first time in several months he could sleep on his bed and he was just the happiest guy around yeah and you know was like i need to do the other side stat you know and so we did and he's doing fantastic that's awesome yeah that's so good you know so as as i'm thinking about uh conversations with you in in general um one of the things that i keep coming back to in my head here is it's probably important advice for runners that we should not ignore something for too long. Right. It seems to be the case that the longer we ignore it, the more likely it's not going to be an easy fix anymore or as easy of a fix. Um, So as, as these things go and the the suggestions you're giving uh, talking to the right people and talking to anyone to get that conversation started is a big piece of it. And just being able to know what is going on here. You know, we, we look at our problems as runners so often as um, it's just another, you know, just another thing. And eventually it gets bad enough that I got to just take time off and then I start again. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the problem is going to go away, especially with something like compartments issues right. that, uh, you know, doesn't really get better just because I'm not running. And so in this, in this sense, uh, I'm getting a, kind of like a, a good lesson myself from you. Uh, I'm just talking with you in general, John, that we, we, we shouldn't try to just ignore problems, certainly, but we also should not hesitate to like talk to the medical people about the things that are going on. You know, Talk to my doctor right away when I've got something, especially because there's a good chance my doctor knows about some of these kinds <laughs> of things and can say, well, that's reminiscent right. of maybe we should pursue something here. Yeah. So I would say the the frustrating thing about exertional compartment syndrome is it is typically brought up by the patient because it is really a noticeable stop. Yeah. Right. Um, And especially to the athlete. Right. So it like I was saying before, it's something that you can't always run through. Mm -hmm. Right. Or you start noticing. that various things are occurring. And the the frustrating thing about this diagnosis is that not a lot of us clinicians really know about it or really know what it is, sure. right? Yeah. And so what typically happens is in this particular with this particular diagnosis, it's not like a tendonitis. Mm. And it's and it's not like even a stress fracture. Maybe it starts like that. Yep. But you know, all of a sudden it becomes more involved, right? So you start getting pain at kind of the certain time. Yep. Okay. And then if you push through it, some of them can push through it as, as I, as I was saying, um, and it might, might, you might be able to push through to a certain degree. And then all of a sudden it catches up with you again and eventually it just gets worse. And, you know, I mean, patients even come in with feeling like they're clumsy, Right. You know, because their foot doesn't work right, you know, and maybe they're, you know, they don't have so much in the way of terrible pain. I mean, it's calf pain, which we all get when we run. But, you know, as it 
you know, people can push through that. But then they start getting clumsy. And some people have even said, I feel like I want a trip, mm, yeah. you know. Right. And they're like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like maybe that's just me running a lot and I'm just fatiguing, yeah. right? Um, but it's one leg, you know, or right. maybe it is two, but, you know, it's usually worse in one side. Yeah. And so you tell your primary care doctor and, you know, I mean, well, it's probably a stress fracture, yep. right? Not a, not a bad idea. And, um, but why don't you just stop running? Yep. You know, give it a break. Well, you do that, you know, and then you go back to running again and you've got a, 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 a clumsy foot and yep. you've got pain again and it's just coming right back. Maybe that, maybe the, by this time, you know, you, with your immobilization, your muscles shrank a little bit. So mm -hmm. it takes longer to show up again, but it comes back. Right. Right. And so, you know, it's very common for me to see these patients after having seen, I'm their fourth or fifth opinion. They're frustrated. They think they're crazy because everything is negative. I had an MRI, it was negative. I had an X-ray and it was negative. I, you know, I was treated for a stress fracture, but I still have the same pain. I don't understand this. And now, now I'm, I, I feel clumsy, you know, what's going on. And, you know, the clumsiness comes because the most frequently uh, affected compartment um, not only does you know the artery go through there but the nerve goes through there yeah. and that actually assists with dorsiflexion of your foot so if the pressure starts to get too much and you're able to keep running through it then the next thing to go is the pressure increases because it's only going to get higher right is the nerve starts to go yeah and so you can't pull your foot up as much so they're describing it well but you know, we as clinicians just don't know yeah. about it. And so the, the, you know, the frustrating thing is, is that you're, you're talking to your primary care doctor and they, they don't see infinitely many number of runners. Sure. Right. Yep. So they don't necessarily really know, or even have seen this diagnosis and even orthopedists. Hmm. Right. So I just happened to see a lot of feet. Right? right. And feet are attached to the calves. And so it, I, I'm fortunate to be able to actually, you know, see it on a regular basis. So I know it. Sure. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Yep. And so they, they get very frustrated by it. And then finally, when you actually get and land to that right person and things just kind of make, start to make sense, it's overwhelmingly a good experience for the patient once yeah. you finally get the yeah. diagnosis. Well, that's, that's exactly it. That's what, that's what I was saying at the beginning that it's one of those situations where it's like, I get that diagnosis and it's yes, I know yeah, <laughs> I can have the thing solved and it. Yeah, that's good. That's well, good. it is kind of crazy because when I first started practice 15 years ago, um, my office typically would put in our local newspaper, a. Uh, uh, diagnosis, treatment, and, you know, a, a treatment plan. And it would just be a FYI, yeah. you know, this diagnosis, you know, if you have this, this, and this, it can be treated like this. Come see us at Orthopedic Associates right. in Michigan, right? right. And uh, so they did one on exertional compartment syndrome, okay? And for whatever reason, they sent all these patients to me. And this article triggered, you know, I would say I describe them in terms of legs, probably 14 or 15 legs. Okay. <laughs> sure. Some of these people had bilaterals, right? Okay. Yeah. And when you're talking about this particular diagnosis, it is ab I mean, this isn't something that walks in every day. Right. I mean, like these are rare, more, more rare, but in the runner's world, it's not necessarily rare. Yeah. Okay. Right. But these people have had vague leg pain. And so, it was just bizarre because I in like literally probably two or three weeks, I had done more exertional compartment, I had compartment releases than anyone in my group. Yeah. So all of a sudden now I become this crazy expert on exertional expert. compartment syndrome. And then since then, like even competitive groups are sending me these referrals. And so I've just had, a lot of experience with yeah. it for whatever reason. It's my quote niche, you know, in, in yeah. foot and ankle surgery. So it's kind of weird, but that's why I've seen a lot of it. So I know yeah. I've seen a lot of variations of it. Sure. Sure. So, 
Well, we'll try to do the same thing here then because uh, we got a large listenership in exactly. West Michigan. So if you've got all the things described here and that vague leg pain and you haven't found a way to solve it, talk to the people at Orthopedics exactly. Association of Michigan. That's right. Call That's for right. John Maskell. You got it. You got it. So it is, you know, if you're experiencing that leg pain that you can't really describe, it's been frustrating and you might even have nerve symptoms and you know, typically gets painful at maybe X miles, you know, um, that's when I would definitely get checked. All right. So, and it, you know, if, if you don't have a career to be a runner, you don't have to have your compartments released, mm. but if you want to get past that, you know, then yep. that would be your next option. It's not a mandatory surgery, but to do what you guys love doing running right. is the only way through it. Right. Well, there you go. And the good news is the recovery is what you love doing. And the recovery is the best part. Yes, that's exactly right. Pain-free. You got it. Well, if there's one specific takeaway that we have as we're listening to Dr. Maskell articulate this particular issue, among some of the other things we've talked with him about, it's that we as runners, we have this tendency, terrible, terrible thing that we do, where we have a pain. And it's not like totally debilitating, but it's pretty bad. And it comes and goes, or it's chronic, and it's never, like, knocking us out. Or it is for a while, and then we rest a bit, and we come out. Anyway, the point is we got this thing. And we we tend to just not try to fully address or investigate it. So it might be something where I go see my doctor, and my doctor says, eh, it sounds like maybe this thing, get a little bit of PT, it should be all right. The PT oftentimes is, in fact, great, so we know we're not denying that fact. Um, but we have these problems. And they tend to just plague us. And what is often the case, and I've I've learned this more and more over the years, talking to people like Dr. Maskell, is that there's usually something that's causing that problem that can be solved. And or the problem itself is something that can be solved. And so when when I hear that, I, my, I immediately think, why should I ever assume any problem is other than something should and can be solved mm. with the right kind of approach. And so my my understanding with these things is everything has a potential solution and we should try to find out what Seek that it is. Out. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's kind of the key. Um, and I appreciate it, as Dr. Maskell was talking about this one in particular, where he's like, it's, it's often something that's misdiagnosed or just missed in diagnosis. Um, because the nature of the problem is is fairly unique and it's somewhat precise. Uh, and so that this is not the kind of thing that everyone's going to have. Um, you know, like a strained calf muscle is something that anyone's going to get at some point or another, right? Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of these kinds of things mm-hmm. that are just not necessarily obvious mm-hmm. without pursuing and investigating further. Right. And that's why we wanted to bring this kind of episode so that we can become more aware and we know that there could be solutions out there for us. So thank you to Dr. John Maskell for bringing all of your specialized knowledge to the A to Z Running Podcast. Right on. So now you know all the things you need to know, at least <laughs> about that stuff. And speaking of getting to know more things, we have some interesting information for you now in the world of running. First, before we get into the world at large, some A to Z runner updates of always note and excitement. Congrats to Craig on another marathon. So he's on a spree here. If you haven't noticed, we've been saying Craig's name a lot. He's doing like a marathon every month or more uh, for a while here and uh, touring the country in the United States, as it were, trying to hit each state over uh, over an extended period of time. He's not trying to do them like all at once. But Craig just uh, just nailed another one and a pretty strong effort at yeah. that. Yeah. Speaking of which, Erin ran an impromptu trail marathon and she happened to win it. So happened to. She, Is that how that works? <laughs> well, she ran. Happened she ran win. according to, you know, your advice there, Zach. Well, I guess without I consulting just... me about whether she should run this race. <laughs> Well, I suppose you could it, say that. She took it very, very conservative, conservatively, and she feels great after the fact. But um, she was able to pick off some people in the final lap. It was oh, a lap trail race, and it was muddy, and it was victory. awesome. But it's her 14th state, so that was 14th the other thing. 14th state, I, so yeah. she's doing some states. Mm-hmm, she is. So congratulations to Erin on that marathon win. 
keeping up the trail spree mm-hmm. as well. We've awesome. also had a lot of A to Z runners doing some really great things in training, uh, including some unofficial PRs. So I want to give a shout out for that too. So Lots of good stuff. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. And if you want some of that good stuff <laughs> to happen to you, you should definitely check out a to Z running.com slash coaching for our coaching and training services. Smooth. Smooth as that. <laughs> Speaking of fast people, mm-hmm. let's talk about Hillary Bohr breaking a 40-year-old so American record. Which is really cool because it hits a little bit close to home here because Greg Meyer from Grand Rapids, Michigan area, he's the one who held that 40-year-old American record in the 10-mile Officially held yeah. it. Yeah, the 10-mile record. It's a 10-mile okay. record. It was unusually cold temps and strong winds at the Cherry Blossom 10-miler. So that was kind of a unique time and place to be breaking a record but hillary Bohr did such a thing and he ended up beating the previous record by two seconds wow mm-hmm. yep he ran 46 11 okay and this is also the uh 10 mile road racing championships and that one does move around because it wasn't there last year hillary most of the road championships move around yeah so hillary Bohr actually ran faster than that time last year in the 10-mile road racing championships, but it was somewhere else that wasn't eligible to get this record. Yeah, so as road racing records go, the course matters immensely because there's a lot of reasons why a course won't be records legal. Um, You've actually heard many times over the years of someone breaking a road record but not actually getting the official record because of things like that. Or they did it in a different distance, like a half marathon, they broke the 10-mile record, but there wasn't a timing mat at 10 miles that was official and sanctioned, and so they don't get the record. Or too much downhill. Or, or all the things. Yeah. All the things, yep. Well, so nice work to Hillary Bohr yes. finally knocking that one off. Mm-hmm. That's and, impressive. And getting the USATF 10-mile road ra- racing championship Why win. Not? Yep. Why not? Take a title while you're at it. On the women's side for the USATF 10-mile championships, Sarah Hall was the winner, and she now has a total of 12 national titles, well, including that one. Mm-hmm. Four of them, in fact, at 10-mile races. At the 10-mile distance. She's so really good at the 10-mile. She is. Wow. In 2017, 2018, 2019, and now in 2023. Well, that was a nice little spree she had there. Three she years did. running. Yeah, it's fantastic. Cool. So she was second in the entire race because this is also the open race, the Cherry Blossom 10-miler, to Sarah Chalinget of Uganda. Hmm. Uh, Hillary Bohr, I should mention, was second to Sagay Kitanu. And um, so both of them were second in their races, but first in the USATF championship. Okay. And then I did want to shout out Carrie Verdon, who's a previous podcast guest. She was seventh for the, USATF, the USATF. Yep, for yeah. the championship race. Right on. Okay. Well, speaking of records and fast people running them, Eilish McColgan does a lot of that. She does a lot of that lately. Yep. So she broke yet another record. Well, it was her own, (laughs) but she beat it by a significant margin. So at the Berlin half, she ran 105.43 to take 43 seconds off her own British record. Yeah. There aren't that many people in the world running under 106 in a half marathon. Not very many That's, men even running uh, under yeah, 106. Yeah, I'm saying people yeah, in the world. That's so fast. It is really fast. And she was the overall women's winner. It was a pretty fast day because there was actually three men who were under 60 minutes, which is a big barrier a to, to break. Yep. And this is a really promising show of fitness before Eilish McColgan's marathon debut coming up in London. In London. So all the talk, all the talk, Boston and London have the strongest fields that they've had maybe ever um and so now there's this debate of like which one's got a stronger field Ooh. and such and i don't really care much about that kind of a debate I'm however glad they're both strong so they're fun, both strong fun to it's watch both of them fun stuff including yeah mcculgan making a debut in london she was going to do that previously and that was injury or something that mm-hmm. she decided to withdraw but here she comes and here we'll she see comes with very uh, quickly she yeah comes. <laughs> all the signs point to an interesting race in london well, let's talk about interesting races for a moment because our uh, our third element here is um, jumping across uh, entirely around the world to Australia and the Australian Outdoor Track and Field Championships. Um, so it, it, I'm not quite sure. Someone needs to help me understand if they know better why, in particular this year, a lot of the big names, the big Australian names, did not run in the championships. Now, I know they actually do that quite a bit, especially if they have already 
uh, give a, a buy qualification for um, like an auto qualification for the world championships, then they often won't run the Australian champs. So this is, again, we've talked about this in the past. Um, Australia, like most countries in the world, will select um, most of their world championship qualifiers uh, arbitrarily. It's not arbitrarily, but it's in arbitration as opposed to um, from their championship races. So they might give like the first person in the championship race a seat if they also have the the world rankings high enough um but most of the other ones are just selected may i guess may i make a make a what are you guessing guess why they didn't come i think because we talked about how the ranking system works and there's not many races that qualify to get points in australia so the travel cost physically time wise i'm sure even financially takes a toll on these elite level Australian athletes. So that's my guess as to why some of them don't come yeah. is because they're not training in Australia. Well, and they're not racing there either. The The good races are in Europe and some in the USA, which yeah. is where they all tend to be. So, <laughs> so that, that's my yeah. guess. Yeah, I think you're right. So in, in that being the case here, um, we still had a really interesting experience yeah. watching the 1500 meters watch it. It was fun. for the men's 1500 meters. So here's the reason particularly why I was very interested in this one, because on the Australian scene, there is a 16 year old who is a name that you should know and watch. His name is Cam Myers, Cameron Myers. He is again 16 and he is besting Jacob Ingebrigtsen's age group records. Which is saying something because Jacob Ingebrigtsen has most of the age most group of the age group records, especially for the the middle long distances, yeah. um, like fifteen hundred through five thousand. So here's what Cam Myers did earlier in February. If you weren't familiar, he ran uh, three fifty five mile, which is faster than Jacob Ingebrigtsen's three fifty eight mile at the time uh, record for the age group. Um, so now that that's at sixteen years of age. Here's the crazy thing. Cam Myers just missed by nine days being the youngest person ever to run sub four in the mile. What? Yeah. So if he was, if he had done that two weeks earlier, he would have been the youngest person ever to run sub four. Oh, still, six days. Ingebrigtsen still holds that though, because he was mm. nine days younger when he did it. Okay. At, but Cam Myers ran three seconds faster though. Whoa. So three it, seconds is yes, a lot in he, that distance. He chopped time off of Ingebrigtsen's time. So impressive. Now, continuing that, at the Australian Championships, he uh, then showed his stuff again in this 1,500 meters. Uh, first of all, by commanding the race as a 16-year-old in a race with some veterans. I mean, there's, there, there were some serious competitors here in this field. And he took control pretty early in the race and then kind of just made the race what he wanted it to be, which is just incredible. The the patience and the um, what is the right the strength of mind to do that and stay composed. I mean, that's very that takes a lot of confidence to lead a race like oh, yeah. that. Oh, yeah. So he did that and it worked out fairly well for him because what ended up happening is he ended up taking second. Unfortunately, Callum Davies beat him in the kick mm-hmm. and it was a very impressive Callum kick Davies, at that. Yeah, he ran a smart race. Ran a smart race. Michael Ramsden, who is probably the favorite in some people's eyes. Um, Callum Davies is definitely not a name unheard uh, in that scene. But so Ramsden had the strong lead with like 150, 200 meters. He took the lead. And was charging down the straight, but Davies and Myers caught him right near the line. Myers in a close second to Davies. So here's what happens. Cam Myers runs then in doing that 338 (laughs) for the 1500, which is now another age group record over Ingebrigtsen's previous record. And this time, not he didn't chop tons of time off. It was about a second or so. Um, But what this amounts to is now he holds... The 16-year-old records for the 1500, the mile, and the 3000, which he also set earlier this year. And so Cam Myers is just knocking off one at a time every Jacob Ingebrigtsen age group record that he can. And I am thrilled to see how this continues to go. And Jacob Ingebrigtsen has world records, so that's how we know. And then he has so many medals to prove that he's become one of the greatest of all time. But to have this young man, Cam Myers clipping off some of his age group records is saying something about cam Myers' potential <laughs> it just yeah i mean it kind of shows you that there's uh 
there's you know these are once in generation athletes that people often say well not not quite so much because a few <laughs> there's a couple in the same generation here doing the same thing yeah it's just fun it's yeah. fun all right so watch cam myers tune into that australian and his amazing feats because i don't think we're done with them yet i don't think so either well speaking of not being done well, we're done with this episode, well, but we're not done with the podcast. So speaking of not being done, you we're done. Wait, that's not right. <laughs> if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. We're going to be giving out more content. We've been doing this now for, what, three years? Giving out content. Is that what we do? We give out content. We will be producing weekly content about running. So if you are looking for that, please subscribe. And uh, again, we love to meet you in real life, too. So Say hello when you see us, please. And come to Rivertown Races on April 22 <laughs> so you can, in fact, guarantee that you will see us. That'll be lots of fun. With that, thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you again next week. 